the letter of Paul to the Colossians. I will start from chapter 1, verse 24. We go all the way to chapter 2, verse 5. Now I rejoice in my suffering for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, that is the, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is in Christ, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all this energy that he powerfully works within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of the full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Please keep your Bible open as Psalm comes in. Um, keep, keep your Bible open in front of you. Uh, we're going to be referring to that passage. We, we do a little bit of um, hopping around other places as well. Um, let me pray for us. Um, it's a tricky passage. Um, so let's pray for us as we, as we think about this together. Lord Jesus, you have called us to be part of this church. We trust that that is for a reason, that you have given us um, ways in which we serve. Lord, your church is a body united in Christ. And I pray that as we think about that today and think about what it means to serve well, that you would encourage us where we need to be encouraged. You would challenge us where we need to be challenged. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Let me have my welcome to you and Happy New Year. Um, as Tom said, we've been going through Colossians as a church. Distant memory, but it happened before we started all the Christmas stuff. Um, and we're going to pick it up again. So quick Quick recap, audience participation required. Um, who was the letter written to? You can shout, shout it out. Who was the letter written to? The Colossian church, yeah. Who was the letter written by? Paul. Paul. Who planted the Colossian church? Uh, um, Epaphras. Epaphras, yeah, good. And then the last one, this is, this is a little bit harder. Um, from the all-age service we had uh, at the end of November, what has happened... What has happened to Christians? What does Paul say has happened to Christians? What's the amazing miracle? 
reconciled. You're, you're cheating. You're looking at the text. Yeah, so we, we, we looked at verses 21 to 23, didn't we? Let me just quickly recap that. So let's read chapter 1, verses 21 to 23. It says, And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and which I, Paul, became a minister. So we looked at that transformation, didn't we? We were against Christ, and now we are for Christ, changed by what he's done. And that's what's happened to the Colossian Christians, and that's what's happened to those of us that are Christians here. We've been changed. Now today's passage, so that's that's what's happened And today's passage is more like, this is how it happened. So this is how the Colossian church, how the Christians in the Colossian church were saved. Um, And then we're going to think about, well, how we're saved. And for the Colossian church, that happened through Paul, right? Paul, he started a ministry. Epaphras was part of that ministry. Epaphras planted the Colossian church. And people came to know Jesus. That makes sense? And so what we've we've read, the passage that, that George read to us, is all about Paul's ministry. Paul as a minister, his calling to be a servant of Jesus. You might say, well, great, what is, what have that, what's that got to do with us? This is Paul for the Colossian church nearly 2,000 years ago. And Paul was one of the greatest evangelists that, that's ever existed. How could, how could that possibly be relevant to, to me? Well, this is a chance for us to think about what a good minister looks like. And by minister, I don't, I don't just mean the pastor of a church. I'm talking about anyone who, who serves in the church. Yeah? Sunday school, leading the music, putting the chairs out, putting the Bibles out, doing the refreshments. All of that is service. You are being a servant for Jesus. Now, Paul can teach us by example. That's, that's what's going to happen here. Not, not just so we can measure up our own church leaders against what God says. That, that's a good thing to do if you do it with a heart of love. It's good to look at your church leaders and say, are they, are they following what Christ does? But with a heart of love. But also it's so we can know what our own ministries should look like. And one overarching thing, before we, before we dive into the detail, is that a minister or someone who serves in church has a, has a calling from God. Look at verse 25 with me. Verse 25 says, um, of which I, I, Paul, became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me. So he calls it a stewardship. This is a God-given role to take care of making God's word fully known. And when we serve other believers in church, doing whatever we do, whatever we feel we're called to do, it should be a calling from God. It's something that we should prayerfully consider. It's not just, oh, we feel like doing it. Oh, I feel like helping out at church today. I don't feel like helping out next week. But it should be a, a calling from God. So as we go through these sections of Colossians, we could be thinking, is, is this, is the things we're going to talk about, is this my heart for the ministry that God has called me to? Is this my heart for the way I serve in church? The way that I serve my church family on a Sunday, or even midweek, doing things like youth, is, is, is this my heart for my Sunday school leading, my music leading, my service leading, my setting out refreshments, my setting out the Bibles, my preaching, my role as an elder? All of those things that happen as a church. 
Okay, so New Year, New Year's resolution. Here's my suggestion of a decent New Year's resolution. Be a good minister. Or be a good servant. Serve the church well. Okay, we're going to look at three things that Paul shows us how, how to be a good minister. Sound good? Yeah? yeah? Alright, good. We're going to stay awake together. We're going to, stay awake together. We're going to have some enthusiasm for God's word. Okay, so first of all, verse 24, 25, my first point, a good minister is ready to suffer for Christ. Okay? Now, it's a bit of a bummer to start, really, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, let's be a good minister, and you're ready to suffer for Christ. It doesn't sound very nice, does it? Well, this is what's happening to Paul. This, you know, this is what he says here. Um, when he wrote this, it's quite likely he's stuck under house arrest. So he's in his house, he's got people outside the door stopping him from leaving. But whether or not this is the case, he tells us, doesn't he? He tells us he's suffering. But actually, Paul doesn't see it as a bad thing. He's a, he's a bit of an optimist. Look at verse 24. What does he say? Now I rejoice, rejoice in my suffering. He's rejoicing in his suffering. Now, that's challenging. How do we normally respond to suffering? I'm going to be honest, I've... I wallow in self-despair and misery. <laughs> that's, that's what I do. The last thing I think about doing is rejoicing. And I'm, I imagine I'm not the only one that's doing the things that. But, um, so how can he rejoice in his suffering? Well, he sees it as his spiritual lunch or his spiritual petrol station. He says, verse 20, uh, 24, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church. Now that's slightly confusing. We're going to unpack that. So Paul's, when Paul suffers, he's filling up with what he is lacking. Okay? And it's what he is lacking. Now when, when I read that, I was like, it sort of sounds like Christ's afflictions are lacking. Now that's, that's obviously not the case. Okay, the Bible makes it very clear, places like Hebrews 10, 14, which says, For by a single offering, Christ has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. So, so Christ, what Christ went through on the cross is not in any way lacking. But it's Paul that is lacking. You see that? And what Paul is filling up with is the knowledge that as he suffers, he's suffering for the sake of the church. And he and the church together are united in Christ. Okay, united in Christ and in the good news of Christ, who was afflicted to the point of death on the cross. Now, we're going to, we're going to turn to 2 Corinthians. So flick with me to 2 Corinthians. Let's go. Uh, give me a page number, someone. Um, Barry, can you give me a page number? 2 Corinthians chapter 1. A page number, someone? 966. Uh, 2 chapter 1. 964. Uh, and we're going to read verse 5. Uh, so it says, For as we, and the we is Paul and the Corinthian church, share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. When Paul suffers for Christ, he wants it to be for the comfort and salvation of the church and the people who are receiving his ministry. That in turn comforts him 
and fills him up. Spiritual lunch. That makes sense? As he suffers, he knows he is suffering with the church. And they're united in what Christ did for them on the cross. So for the Colossian Christians, what Paul has to say, well, that should comfort them. Even though they know he's suffering, he's about to remind them of how they came to know Christ. And, and that's, that's why they will be able to rejoice if they then come to suffer. So it's almost like it's the circle of life. I was going to do a diagram, but I didn't get around to it. But... <laughs> Um, now, th- now, this isn't a new concept, is it? What, what did Jesus say to his disciples? Whoever would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Okay, so our ministries, our service is hard. We should be prepared to suffer in the process of carrying them out. Now, for, for us in Beckenby Church, that's very unlikely to look like it looks looked for Paul. We're very unlikely to end up in house arrest. And it's very unlikely to look up like it looked for Jesus. We're, we're very un- unlikely to be put to death. It's more likely to be things like tiredness, yeah. frustration, disappointment. But whatever it looks like, the challenge for us is, and, and something we need God's help for, is, is to rejoice, right? Mm-hmm. To rejoice remembering that together, as a church, we are a suffering group of believers, united in Christ, who ministered to us through his suffering on the cross. And we can pray that that as we suffer, or as we find our ministries hard, that God can use it as a comfort, and to bring about salvation for his people. That should be where our heart is. And it's a humble thing. Just as Jesus humbled himself, came down from heaven, we've been thinking about Christmas, and died on a cross for the sake of the world, so a good minister, a good person who serves, should be willing to humble themselves for the sake of those they're serving. So in the way you serve... Are you willing and ready to suffer? That's the first thing that makes a good minister. Secondly, number two. A good minister desires maturity in Christ. Okay, a good minister desires maturity in Christ. So next verse, verse 25, Paul reminds them how they were saved. Okay, Paul's reminding the Colossian church how they were saved. Verse 25 um, which I became a minister according to the stewardship for God that was given to me, to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, as the saints, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So the Colossian Christians have been saved. The word of God has been made fully known. That's, again, that's the story of Christmas, right? Emmanuel, God with us. And to his people, God has made known the riches of the glorious gospel, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So to us at Beckentry Church, if we are saved, Christ is in us. We're spiritually united to him. It's It's a bit of a strange way of putting it, but we're spiritually united to him. He lives in us by his Holy Spirit. And this is what the Colossian Christians had through the work of Paul and Epaphras. And that's what we have through who, at whichever point in our lives when we came to know Jesus, whether it was on the, on the doorstep, someone from this church coming to you on the doorstep, whether it was when you were a child, whether you can't even remember the, the, the time when you came to know Jesus. The, the moment of conversion, that's just the beginning, isn't it? 
It's not you're converted and you don't have to worry about anything for the rest of your Christian life. It's not how it works. It's, it's not the complete completion of the Christian journey, it's just the start. So, what's the next step? So the next step is to desiring to grow in spiritual maturity. Okay, so I have a prop. My prop. We, uh, we said goodbye to our Henry Hoover this week. Sad times. But it started to smell funny. I think probably all the food that gets sucked up by it. So we said goodbye to our Henry Hoover. So I'm dedicating this illustration. This isn't ours, by the way, this is the church. I'm, I'm dedicating this illustration to our Henry Hoover. <coughs> so imagine I wanted to do some hoovering. Imagine. Imagine. Okay, I've got, I've got the hoover out of the cupboard. Here it is. Um, and I need it to start sucking up dirt. I need it to, to, clean, to clean my house. Okay, so, so what might I try to get it to work? Well, I might try shouting at it. Hoover! Come on! Suck up some dirt! That's one thing I might try. I might try that. Okay, bear with me. Um, I might give it a bit of affirmation. I might say to it, come on, you're such a good hoover. You've done this before. All you need to do is push some air up through your nozzle. Come on. Okay, I might try that. That's the second thing I might try. Uh, I might try, I might find a blog, right, on my phone. Five ways to be a good hoover. And I'm going to read that. Look at this. Look, five ways to be a good hoover. Number one, uh, clean your filter. Number two. (laughs) Unfortunately, none of these things will work. Why not? Well, it needs plugging in. Right? It needs, needs plugging in. To the, I need to take the cable and I need to plug it in over there. Without being plugged into the power, Henry will not hoover. Okay? And then you'll have to get rid of him. How often do we try these things ourselves, trying to get spiritually mature, right? We, we command ourselves or each other. We say, do better. Go to church. Stop swearing. Stop lying. Do your devotion in the morning. We use, we use affirmation, don't we? Oh, look, you're, you're such a good person. You've done so well. You've been such a good Christian so far. You can be a better Christian. You can grow. Don't, don't worry about it. You'll be all right. Well, we can look up on like five steps to being a good Christian. We can look up our clickbait. We love clickbait. Unfortunately, none of these things will work if we are not plugged into Christ. Without being continuously spiritually united in Christ, bound up in his love and his power and his righteousness, just like Henry would not hoover without being plugged in, we will not grow in spiritual maturity. Jesus is everything we need for the Christian life, right? And and he said it himself in John 15, he describes himself as a vine and his followers as the branches. So, So John 15 verse 4 says, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. Just like I needed to plug Henry in, the calling of a minister or someone who serves is with God's help to plug the Christians that they are serving to into the power of Christ. To help the believers around them to remain in the vine, in Christ, in Jesus. Now, 
This isn't, this isn't exclusive to certain members of the church either. Look at the language in verse 28. Him we proclaim, Christ we proclaim, warning everyone, teaching everyone in all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Yeah? This is for every, this was for every Colossian Christian, this is for every Christian at Beckentry Church. A good Christian serving wants everyone that they are serving to be warned and taught and to grow in spiritual maturity. How? How do we do that? Well, verse, verse 25 tells us, look back, what was Paul doing? He was a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to him to make the word of God fully known. Okay, so how? Well, we look at the word of God. The Bible, and the Bible is all about Jesus. It's a bit like that Sunday school, the classic Sunday school answer. What's the answer? Jesus, Jesus and the Bible. <laughs> so as we teach and study the Bible, and listen to the Bible being taught, we are learning and talking about Christ. As we spend time in God's word, we grow in spiritual maturity. So the Bible is the key to maturity in Christ. We get a better understanding of his riches, right? As we, as we study the Bible, the treasure found in him. So a good minister desires maturity in Christ, keeps people plugged in by teaching and studying his word, the Bible. And I've got a few examples of what that might look like. So that means that if you're a children's worker, if you work with the children, you desire the children you are teaching to grow in spiritual maturity. Spiritual maturity is not about being an adult. Children can be spiritually mature. And you do that by teaching them the Bible and helping them learn more about Jesus. It means that if you're preaching or leading on a Sunday, you preach or lead using the Bible. Trusting that God can use his word to reach every believer who you are preaching and leading to. It means that if you know someone in church who might be struggling with a bit of the Bible and they've said to you, I really don't understand this bit of the Bible. That you say, you say well let me study that bit of the Bible with you. Knowing that God will help both of you grow through doing that. And it means, in a slightly different way, it means if you're setting out the chairs, and you're putting the Bibles out on the chairs, that you can be praying that the people who sit on those chairs and the people who read those Bibles will grow in spiritual maturity. And it means that if you're setting out refreshments or serving refreshments, you can pray that the conversations that people have by eating and drinking will build each other up in spiritual maturity. Let's desire each other to grow in Christ by remaining in his word. Hey, that's the heart of a good minister. That should be our heart when we're serving our church family. But, verse 29, for this I toil, struggling. Okay, it's not easy. Not easy. Paul reminds us again about his suffering, right? Warning and teaching each other. That's hard. Again, disappointment, frustration, tiredness. Poor Rob. Look at the, look at the people he's been landed with week in, week out. But God gives us strength. Yeah? God gives us strength to minister to the people he's called to. He gives us strength to serve the children. He gives us strength to, to preach, to lead. He gives us strength to set up the chairs. And do the refreshments. Strength to keep each other plugged into Christ. 
Okay, and the reason it's not easy is because we're sinful. Because actually full maturity in Christ, or full perfection in Christ, is not achieved until Jesus comes again, or we meet him in heaven. So therefore, this process of growing in maturity is fighting a war with the sin in this world and the sin in our hearts. And that's why it's, that's why it's a struggle. But on the days when it seems harder than ever, we can look forward to the day when we're, we will be presented washed clean by the blood of Jesus. No more toil or suffering. Fully mature in Christ. So, if you have a ministry where you're serving believers, your desire should be to see them grow spiritually in God's word. And the opposite side of that is that if you are being served or being part of a ministry, your leader should be better helping you to understand the richness of the gospel. Okay? So that's two things. The good minister, ready to suffer, desires everyone to be mature in Christ through the Bible. Number three, a good minister wants his church family to be rich. Not that kind of rich. Okay, so what's Paul? Tr- what, what else is Paul yet to say? You think I've got? You think I've got off the rails? <laughs> Verona was about to give you a mouthful. <laughs> so, what else is Paul struggling for? So, this is chapter two. For I want you to know, chapter two, verse one. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and those at Laodicea. Okay, so he's struggling again. That their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Can you see the language there? Richness, treasure. Okay, so rich in money? Not rich in money. Rich in possessions? No. Rich in the clothes that we wear? No. No. Rich in Christ. Okay, so there's a progression to this riches. Now, now I'm going to read those two verses again, but I'm going to read them in the NIV translation because I think that's, that's helpful sometimes to look at other translations. So the NIV says, "My goal," Paul saying, "My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love, so they may have the full riches of complete understanding, in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge." So if the if the Colossians <coughs> If their hearts are encouraged and they're united in love, and that's unconditional love, you know, the love your enemy kind of love, and that flows from a relationship with Jesus, then they will be rich in understanding. They will be rich in understanding and the knowledge of Christ. So in Christ is proper treasure. None of this X marks the spot treasure. Proper treasure, true richness, the treasure of wisdom and knowledge. So we can get so caught up in stuff we might or might not have as a church, and that church over there has got a nice sound system, and our sound system has got holes in it. And we can even buy into the thinking, of, oh, God wants us to be healthy and wealthy and prosperous. And that's not what Paul's saying. He's saying a rich church is one that encourages one another, loves one another, and gets to know Christ better. And we know that's by studying the Bible. And that's what being rich was for the Colossian church. Now remember, they've got it right. Remember chapter 1 verse 4? Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all the saints. They're doing it right. And that's what being rich should be for us. Being rich is knowing Christ. 
And because of that, we're united in love. And therefore, a good minister, someone who serves well, is someone who desires this for their church or the Christians they're serving. A good worship leader is one who desires that the songs that they lead will encourage people's hearts and unite the church in the truth of God's love. A good elder or a good leader of the service is one who leads the church or leads the service in being encouraged and knit together in love, desiring them to reach the richness found only in Christ. Now, Paul has a reason for wanting this for the church. Chapter 2, verse 4. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. It's a warning, right? Only Christ can make the church rich. Only Christ is the mystery of God revealed. No one or nothing else. However convincing they might seem. Now in the lead up for Christmas, reading the news, there was a news article about delivery scams. What was happening is people were getting a text which said, uh, your parcel's due for delivery, click on this link and put your payment details in and then your parcel will get delivered for you. Now that's plausible, right? Because in the lead up to Christmas, what are you expecting? A parcel, probably. Buying presents, you're expecting a parcel. And there are churches that say that being a Christian will make you healthy and wealthy and prosperous. They say this is what God wants for you, not just the riches of Christ, but the riches of this earth. Now that sounds plausible, right? Why would God not want you to have a nice car and a nice house and a nice church building? Now there are several problems with this, but this is my biggest. What happens if you go to a church that believes that, or someone preaches that to you, but you live in a mouldy one-bed flat, and your daughter has just been diagnosed with a heart tumour? Now, you think two things. You either think God's let you down, or you think that you're not a proper Christian and don't have enough faith. What does the Bible say? And the Bible says, 1 Timothy 1.15, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. It doesn't say... Christ Jesus came into the world to give you a good life. The purpose of Jesus coming was to save sinners. And therefore our salvation is not dependent on ourselves and it's not dependent on how healthy and wealthy we are. It's dependent on what God did through his son Jesus. He hasn't let us down. And if we believe the truth of Christ Jesus coming to the world to save sinners and we're proper Christians. There's no such thing as not being a proper Christian. You're either a Christian or not a Christian. There's nowhere now, there's nowhere in the Bible as well that says that the journey of the Christian life is going to be easy. It doesn't say that. But we have treasure. And the treasure of the, is the gospel, of the gospel is that amongst the suffering of this world, God came to save sinners. Okay? And that's everyone. And that could be true Whatever situation you're in, whether you're poor or rich, healthy or unhealthy, top of the class or bottom of the class. And that could be true for you today, if you're not a Christian. Jesus came to this world for you, no matter what you've thought, no matter what you've said, no matter what you've done. And if you want a new start, and if you're willing to change, to ask for forgiveness, he will forgive you. And he will welcome you into his family. The church. Beckertry Church. Verse 5, let's look at 2 verse 5 as we finish up. Paul says, For though I am absent in body, he's not with them, probably in house arrest, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. 
Okay? Paul is rejoicing in the fact that the Colossian church is rich in Christ. Their faith is firm. The gospel they believe is the gospel of the Bible, nothing added and nothing taken away. And a good minister teaches about this gospel, shares about this gospel, nothing added and nothing taken away. Desiring that the people that they are serving are encouraged and united in their love of Christ. I think we do this well. I think at Beckenshire Church we do this well. Praise God for Rob and the way he leads us. Praise God for everyone in this church who serves. We do it in so many different ways, even though that's difficult sometimes. We could praise God for that. So, what does that mean for us as Christians? Well, first it means we can thank God. We can rejoice in what he's done for us, right? We can thank God for the ways in which we as a church are united in love. And the ways in which we as a church can grow in maturity. Also, we should pray. We should pray that we ourselves would be plugged into Christ and would be desiring to be plugged into Christ, but also that God would give our leaders the strength to keep us in his word and that God would give us the strength to keep the people that we are serving in his word or to help keep the people in his word through his strength. We, can pray, we should pray that our serving, that our ministry, whatever we do to serve this church, flows from being in Christ. Not out of our own desires or strength, but out of being in Christ, out of being united in Christ. Okay? And there's no limit to the treasure and wisdom of knowledge found in Christ. In the ways in which we serve each other, we should always be desiring each other to be found in Christ. It's not something that happens because it's New Year and then sort of dwindles out throughout the year. But we should always be desiring each other we should always be encouraging each other with the truths of the bible and always be united in love loving each other as christ loved us so we can thank god we should pray but also we should be warned okay this is hard we've said it loads of times this is struggle we are battling against the sin of this world the sin in our hearts and the sin of people who would say that christ is not enough and in our ministries, we should be prepared to suffer for Christ, just as he suffered for us. I thought of one practical way this could play out. I was thinking about our church WhatsApp group. And we love to post on our church WhatsApp group, right? And I think a great way to be, to be serving each other would be checking before we post something on there. Okay, so here's some questions we could ask ourselves. Um, does what I'm about to post grow my church family spiritually? Will this encourage my church family? Is it loving? Is it in line with what the Bible says? Okay. I'm definitely guilty of saying things on there that would have no as an answer to one of those questions. Okay. So let's make sure that what we post on there is encouraging, loving, and keeps us growing in Christ. Let's use it to serve one another. So, New Year's resolution for us? Be a good minister. Be prepared to suffer for Christ. Desire that everyone we, that, that we are serving is spiritually mature by sharing in the teaching of the Bible and desire that our church family is rich in Christ. We are a rich church, yeah? We are a rich church. We are rich in Christ. Let's praise him for that. Lord Jesus, I thank you that we are rich in you, that we have your word 
that teaches us about you and the incredible things that you've done. And I pray, Lord, that this year, that we would strive passionately to be, to be serving each other well. That even if that means suffering, that we, would be, and we, that we would be prepared to suffer, even if that means suffering, that we would desire to grow each other spiritually. And we would desire that we are a church that loves each other. Pray, Lord, that, that you would help us do this. We can't do it in our own strength. We can only do it in your power, your Holy Spirit working inside of us. Please help us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.